Hello, and welcome to Where Am I To Go podcast. Today, before we start the show, I would like to bring up some business things that have kind of been on my mind so that you can know where to get more Where Am I To Go. First off, I'd like to talk about the Facebook page at Where Am I To Go podcast. It's on Facebook, and we've been posting some wonderful pictures of some of the places that we've been and some of the adventures that we've had. Not everything that we go and do is made into a podcast, and so we take pictures at different places and post those pictures so that you guys can enjoy some of the different places we've been. Also, I really am interested in listener feedback. I have an email address at where am I to go podcast at gmail.com. Again, that is where am I to go podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear some of the listeners' comments and some of their ideas of places that might be interesting to visit and go and do. Today we are in New Orleans. We pulled in here last night and I was down here a year or so ago. I've been down twice now, I guess, to Mardi Gras. But last year while I was here, we took the cemetery tour the day after Mardi Gras, which would have been a Wednesday, and we were fortunate enough to have Ernie as our tour guide. So this year, when I knew that I was coming back down to New Orleans to do the tour, or to just hang out, I had to give Ernie a call and said, Ernie, will you give me some of your time on a one-on-one -on -one basis and kind of walk us through New Orleans and show us what all's here. And Ernie said yes, he would do that. So welcome, Ernie, to Where Am I To Go podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm glad you're doing this. I, I just is, I'm really excited. I'm okay. Well, just a little bit of backstory here. Uh, we came into New Orleans. It's been raining off and on, but today it's raining to beat hell, to put it lightly. So. We have walked around Bourbon Street, well, the whole French Quarter. We've been around the whole French Quarter a whole bunch last year when we were here at Mardi Gras. I've been around it the year before when I was at Mardi Gras, and we walked a whole bunch of it again yesterday. So we're not going to go location to location to location and get our equipment wet and get us all wet and for us to be miserable. So we're sitting in the back of uh, Boondock Saint, which is a... Uh, you called it my a dive favorite bar. dive bar. Dirty's favorite dive bar. My living bar. room. It's my living room. <laughs> it's his living room. That's even better yet. And so we're sitting here in the back. We're going to take a tour since this is all audio anyway. And Ernie's going to take us to all of his favorite spots uh, through vocal tour. And if there's places that we want to see and get pictures of afterwards, we're going to go do that. So anyway, Ernie, let's start with uh new orleans as far as history that you kind of took us on part of that history last year you started with the tour i'm sorry it reminds me of something a couple said years ago on the cemetery tour we're out skiing i'm like how are you skiing in new orleans and they're like spinning our kids inheritance <laughs> <laughs> okay and i was like okay all right <laughs> okay, i guess that's what we're doing 
trying to spend as much time on the road doing things as we can. So while we can, that's that's the big thing. Yeah. So, so starting with yeah, it was, it was great. So <laughs> starting with the moment, I, I I feel it began here in a French Quarter along the river actually. So there we're in right now. The French Quarter, this was the city of New Orleans. It was selected back in 1718 by the French Canadian Governor Bienville for the port city. Then they didn't lay out the city until 1721. So the story is Bienville and the engineers were having arguments about where they wanted to place New Orleans. My understanding is the French engineers wanted the city today upriver where Baltimore Rouge is. Yet Bienville felt that they would establish a city up there, that the colonial, would come, colonial power would come along and establish a city underneath them. Okay, the story goes, he gets his proof one day. I read he's coming down the river one day with some Native Americans, came across an English ship full of settlers. And the English are like, it is a Frenchman, it is the Mississippi River. And being the line was like, no, you treat us further, that's not good, I'll talk to you again. And the English actually believed them, so they turned around and left. So that's why <laughs> we have an area in New Water here known as English Turn, because the English turned around and left. So they put the city here and it wasn't just because oh they didn't want another colonial power building a city underneath them also because easy access which really interesting let me show you the map here okay let me where's my overpriced cell phone okay so let me show you this what's really cool we're looking at a map of, of New Orleans with the Mississippi yes. River coming through. And Lake Pontchartrain up here. So okay. here's the original city right here, what we know today as the French Quarter. Okay. Now, it took a little while to come up the river to get to the city, so the best way to supply the city is to actually take the lakes. You can go from the Gulf of Mexico to Lake Pontchartrain. So they had a canal dug. The best way was to go from Bayou St. John. Let me see if I can find Bayou St. John here. Oh. Uh, Wait, uh, 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 okay, here's City Port. Yeah, the Bayou St. John here to the back of the city. That was done during the Spanish colonial periods. It was known as the Coronelet Canal, named okay. after the Spanish governor who had it dug. And then they put a turning basin behind the city. And by the way, that's why we have Basin Street up there. Because okay. oh. there was a turning basin there, and what else are we going to call the street? So, <laughs> anyway, so that's why they put the city here, because it was easier to supply the city here also by going from the Gulf of Mexico to the lake and you just come down instead of coming up the river to supply the city. Okay. Now, of course, we had ships coming down from the Midwest, Mississippi River, here to the city of New Orleans, and then from there out to the Gulf, and of course over to the New World, or well, New York, Mobile, and your, oh, why am I saying the New World? Okay, but anyway, though, so this is the reason why the city's here. And initially it was built along the river because this is the highest land. A lot of people ask, hey, was it flooded in the French Quarter? No, along North Rampart Street and Canal Street, there was some water at the Katrina. But the French Quarter, this is the highest land. The land along the river is the highest land right here. Really? So when the city was originally built, laid out, it was from Iberville Street up river, down the river to Barrett Street, from the river up to what is now known as Dolphin Street. That was really a drainage ditch. In fact, the first burials occurred along the river, the levee, the natural levee, because it was the highest land around here. So oh. then, when they laid out the city in 1721, the engineers placed one of the cemeteries beyond the ditch, what is now the back of the city, on St. Peter Street and called it St. Peter Cemetery. Of course, they named it after the street it was located on. Now, that cemetery is no longer there, of course. If you remember when you took right, the tour last right. year, I pointed out the block where all the homes are. So they got the order to close that cemetery in 1788. 
because it filled up. There was no more room to bear the loved ones on the block. And yes, they bear the loved ones. There. A lot of people think, oh, we, we use tombs here because we're close to the water table. No, we use tombs here because it's about land management. It has nothing to do with the water table here. We do enter our loved ones to the ground. So they were interred in St. Louis Cemetery. Correction, St. Peter Cemetery. I apologize about that. And they dug a ditch around that block, used the dirt from that ditch to help elevate the block. In fact, the cemetery was surrounded with a brick wall. It filled up because they had issue with yellow fever, cholera, dysentery. The city had its first major fire in 1788, lost over 900 homes, according to sources. No one died during a fire, I found out, at a lecture attendant. No one actually died during a fire. Really? They died after the fire. 900 folk. Uh, yeah, 900 homes burnt. No one died during the fire. It was after the fire where the deaths occurred because of cholera and dysentery. So this is why the St. Peter Cemetery filled up. So they received a land grant in 1789 for a new cemetery, which eventually would end up, once again, on the outskirts of the city. Because what you know as the French Quarter, this was the city on St. Louis Street. So, of course, they called that cemetery St. Louis Cemetery. Those are pretty original names. <laughs> yeah, you, you, know, we, you, know, there's, you know, I'm blaming it on the drinking, and the, but that's just me. Right, original names. So let me get, check this out. So... Originally, so the French Quarter was a city. The city was protected at one time with six forts and ramparts, just earth and wooden walls. The soldiers were able to patrol on top of the wall. So where we have Canal Street, North Rampart Street, Esplanade, that was the walls pretty much for the city of Orleans. So after the Louisiana Purchase, which rivaled the first American governor, a gentleman by the name of William C. C. Claiborne, they went with the open city policy, tore down the forts and the ramparts, and so... That's why we have North Rampart Street towards the lake, because okay. once again, we're original when it comes to naming stuff here. Oh. And what's also interesting, Canal Street, the widest street in our nation. The reason we have Canal Street, remember I told you about the Carondelet Canal? Uh -huh. Well, we also called it, they also called it at one time the Old Basin Street Canal. They wanted to connect the lake and the river with that canal. So they were gonna dig from the turning basin on Basin Street, up river, get past the city, make a left and connect with the river. Yet they never dug the rest of the canal. My understanding is some gentleman misappropriated the funds, so that's why we now have Canal Street, because that's where the canal was supposed to turn and connect with the river, which ended up being the widest street in our nation, because, you know, yeah, it's supposed it's to be a canal there. The widest street in our nation. It's a street, yeah. Okay. <laughs> street. How wide is it? Um, 172, yes, yeah, 72 or 71 feet. The exact number, I'm, I know it's over 170 feet. There are wider boulevards, but that's the wide street. street. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was going to say, because New York has wide streets. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, but I didn't know that. Yeah, that's cool. Everything else here is very narrow. <laughs> so, something else I want to share with you, or share the image. So, this is something I love to do. Break down a little bit of the history with you. So, once again, the French Quarter was the original city. Now, the first suburbs we had here, originally there were plantations. Everything was a plantation initially, okay, that ran along the river. And the plantations, in fact, was really interesting. As you go up river, the plantations went from the river up to what is now Claiborne Avenue. That was the back of the plantation. Okay. So one of the largest plantations we had here was the Marini Plantation, which is now today a suburb known as the Fulberg Marini. It's the largest plantation here during the colonial period reason it's a suburb now is because Bernard de Marigny sold off the plantation and apparently lost some of his family as well. He became one of the wealthiest teenagers in North America at the age of 15. Really? Through the sources, yes. He inherited plantation along with his family as well. 
The thing is, his uncle was in charge of his wealth until he came of age, and apparently was driving his poor uncle up the freaking wall. So he shipped Bernard off to London to become educated. And he returns home quite educated. He helped participate in framing the state's constitution, served as president of the Louisiana Senate in 1822. He even founded Mandeville, Louisiana on the North Shore. Yet he also returned home as a womanizer and a gambler. Now there are stories out there claiming that perhaps he's the gentleman who introduced a game of craps to the states. I'm not really sure about that. But the dice game, so what's really interesting, it was his favorite game. He brought it home with him. Of course, he changed the moves over time. But the reason it's known as craps, my understanding is, is because you look like a toad out there on the street throwing your dice. <laughs> now, same, like you're laughing. That's what no, I thought, just, too. He just bent down like he was craps. So, yeah. <laughs> so I thought it was like, well, because it looks like you're taking up. But come to find out, no, it has nothing to do with that. The French word for toad, the crap hoe. That's where the word craps comes from, because you look like a toad. So he started selling up the plantation to pay off some of his debts, and the thing is, he was naming the streets down river. We have Desire Street today, because Bernard de Marigny, Love Street, Pleasure Street, Music Street. We even had Crap Street at one time. But apparently the church on Crap Street did not like his address. So they petitioned a city to have the street name changed. They took Burgundy in the French Quarter, ran it down river into the Marigny, and that's Bernard de Marigny for you. So yeah, I, wow. I love that right there. That's interesting. And then we had the Faubourg Treme, which is right beyond North Rampart Street. Some people consider it the oldest African-American community in our nation. I tend to disagree with them because historically, the city here did not have room for historical, for segregated neighborhoods, basically, because okay. it was built along the river, the highest land. I mean, they're, they're, if you look at the census records, there were whites, blacks, Asians, Spanish, Native Americans, all living next door to each other at one time here in the French Quarter. What the Treme is, okay, originally, yes, it was a plantation, but it was sold off and became a suburb. But when I say we're the true milling, I believe no one says the true milling part of North America simply because of the cultural diversity here. When it, some of the European men would actually take a woman of color as a mistress. There's a shortage of European women here during the colonial periods. Apparently, they didn't want to live on a swamp, and I can't blame them. So the gentleman would take a slave as a mistress, or they would actually go out and get a mistress. This led to children known as mulattoes, high black, quadroons, quarter black, octroons, one-eighth black, or as I call certain family members, light, bright, damn near white, but black, okay? <laughs> This okay. cultural diversity, I found out, it had an impact on the civil rights movement in our nation. So, after the Civil War, of course, oh, everything's fine, right? But 1890, the state of Louisiana passed a separate car act here, stating that whites and blacks cannot ride in the same rail car, which upset the rail companies initially because they had to buy new rail cars. And the whole point of being business is to make money, profits. So, it also upset a lot of the citizens here because many of them, I think, were kind of like, well, how the hell do you know I'm black? Because they were crossing the color line. So they get some volunteers, and a gentleman by the name of Homer Plessy volunteered to sit on a white Tony car. Plessy is one eighth black. He can pass as a white man. In fact, this is all set up. He sits on a white only car and has to inform them that he is black in order to be arrested. The judge in Louisiana, Ferguson at the time, ruled against them. This gets up to the U.S. Supreme Court, 1896, Plessy v. Ferguson. Yeah, by this time, the U.S. Supreme Court controlled by the the Southern Democrats ruled against Plessy, establishing a nation's separate but equal laws, or the Jim Crow laws, which were not overturned until 1952, 
with board, Brown versus the Board of Education, which also means Homer Plessy is interred at St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. And a court case was actually heard here in what is Jackson Square and the Cabillo, which is now our state museum on the second floor. To give a little really? heads up with that, yeah, so that's where the court case was first heard. And that's where the Louisiana Purchase was actually signed also, was in the Cabildo. And then we have the Fulberg St. Marie, what people now know today as the Central Business District, CBD. Fulberg St. Marie, pretty much where the Americans first started living after the Louisiana Purchase. The story is they weren't welcome over here in this, the city or the French Quarter today. Yet they had individuals living in the French Quarter. So... Story is they lived up there, and that's why we have neutral grounds instead of mediums. Back home, we call them mediums, we call them neutral grounds, so because the story is the Americans and Creoles would meet on a neutral ground to conduct business because they weren't welcome down here in the French Quarter. In fact, the Americans had their own city here at one time, known as Lafayette City, located upriver, pretty much what is now the Garden District. And then everything became incorporated into the city of New Orleans. So just, just a little heads up there. So, yeah. <laughs> we just we just drove through the garden district this morning. Fantastic uh, houses. I mean. Oh yeah, it's just amazing the the size of those. That houses. was originally a plantation and sold off and turned into. Oh, something else I want to talk about that I think is important. Directions okay. in New Orleans. Let's go back to the map. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize, but this is really important because I've been given tours since 2003, and I recall I had a, a retired individual on my tour, uh, retired command sergeant major uh, in the Army, and I'm an Army vet myself, and you remember we would stop at the Basin Street Visitor Center, and they had a large map like right, this. Right, right. Yeah, it was a huge So, he, yeah, he pulled me aside, and he was like, I don't get lost. You know, I'm a retired command sergeant major. I don't get lost when I've been getting lost in the city. What is going on? I said, oh, don't use cardinal directions. And he looked at me like, what? I'm like, yes, because if you use cardinal directions here, you will get lost. Because the city, when it was laid out, it, this, here's the original city, and you just look at a map. It's not like our other cities, like New York or, or Chicago. It's not in a perfect grid. I mean, it's, it follows the river. Right. So when they laid out the city, it's laid actually not like straight off the river, but at an angle, like a 33 degree angle, if I recall correctly from what I read. So it just follows the river. So that's why people get lost. Because if you look at it, I'll give you an example. Cardinal directions, if you're going to use cardinal directions here, this is cardinal north, right. what I'm pointing out right here. That's true north right there, okay? <laughs> so that's straight up, it's true north. But here's the thing. What I'm trying, right here, what does that say? West Bank. West Bank. But this is north. <laughs> How the hell is that the West Bank? The West this is, is only facing north, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, this so. <laughs> It's the West Bank because if the Mississippi River was straight coming down from Baton Rouge, that will be on the west side of the river. That's what I tell people. All the, just look at the mic. That's the West Bank. Like, how the f is that the West Bank? Because you have to actually I drive. I it perfectly. Yeah. I don't have a sense of direction. So that makes perfect sense to me. It's on the west side. Of the river. <laughs> before it makes the turn. Absolutely. So you actually have to drive east to get to the West Bank. So you're going to drive east to get to the West Bank. How in the hell do you get around this city? So what you're going to do when you come to New Orleans, when people visit the city, I tell them all the time, use the water we're surrounded with to get directions and to get around the city. And we're surrounded with water. Literally, if you drove into the city, I guarantee you, you took a bridge to get here. Right. Okay. So how we do it, we use the water we're surrounded with. So we have what we know as upriver, downriver, riverside, lakeside. 
Okay. Oh, yeah. Lakeside would be Pontchartrain. Train, Lake Pontchartrain. Yeah. So I tell people anytime when you're in the French Quarter, if you think you're lost or you feel you're lost, here's the best way to orientate yourself. You simply stop and face the tallest buildings in the city. When you're doing that, you're facing upriver. By the way, that's where Canal Street's located at. Okay. So orientate your map and your cell phone that way. Point Canal Street towards the tall buildings. Now when you do that, Make sure the river is to your left. That's how you orientate yourself in a French Quarter. That's how you won't get lost. Up river, riverside, down river, away from the tall buildings, lakeside. So that's how you get directions. That's how you get around the city. So you ask anyone I for found a different way. <laughs> What's that? It was called GPS. <laughs> Type in where you want to go and it tells you what street to turn on. And it's actually worked quite well. I found that the New Orleans really is not a bad town to get around in. Uh, nah. You know, the traffic may be a lot of traffic, but traffic moves, except mm. for when you're right here in the French Quarter. Yes. And the roads are extremely narrow. Mm. Like it says we how the city was a French military grid. That's how the city was laid out. Yeah. Well, it, when, we were, when we were going through the garden section today looking at houses, there were times when I had to pull over and let a car come pass. through so that I could go on mm. around and, and be able to, to make my way because yeah. the roads are are really small, but I found yeah. that a lot in the south, all the way through uh, Georgia, uh, South Carolina, Tennessee, the roads are really narrow here compared to what we're used well, to. Consider when they were like laid out, when was the city laid out, 1721. But see, in, in the west, uh, our roads are really wide, and the reason is, is because they needed a mule team to be able to turn around. Oh, and so, wow. But, and I'm sure that you had mule teams and stuff down here, but for some reason all the roads are narrow, and they must have been maybe laid out. It was a military grid. It was a military yeah. grid. It was about defending the city. I found so. out. That's why they laid it out like that. Yeah. yeah. The widest street, actually, in the French Quarter is actually Orleans Street. It's seven feet wider than any other street in the French Quarter. And Orleans was supposed to be the main street. That's the street that runs right out the back of St. Louis Cathedral. Okay. In Jackson Square. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but it's an old town. Yes. So. It's a red. I love this city. There's no other place I'd rather be. Um, yeah. Oh, did I tell you about the Causeway? About the what? Causeway Bridge. No. So there's a bridge that connects the north and the south shore. Causeway Bridge, longest bridge over open water in the world. Well, it was at one time, and apparently now the Chinese have a bridge that's the longest bridge in the world. Yeah, but over 24 point, what, 24 point? It's over 24 miles long. I wow. can't recall the exact number right now at this moment, having a brain cramp, but it's the longest, one of the longest bridges. It connects our north and south shore. Yeah. Okay. I get on Lake Pontchartrain, so that's a nice little drive. It's amazing when you come in here. Uh, when we came in from the north from uh, Natchez. Uh, Natchez. Oh yeah. Oh man, now, Natchez, that's a beautiful. Natchez is a little bit older than you guys. Yes, it is. And then the uh, yes, and made and me well known that Natchez yes, is. Yes, it is. I love Natchez. I, I have did been too. up there. I love that city. It is really freaking awesome. I, there is so much yeah, cool stuff so there. But definitely. anyway, we came down and, and it seemed like we were on a bridge forever. Yeah, uh, you were you coming. Know, you took ten. Yeah, I, I, I ten. Yes, yep. uh, because that's uh, so you had to come down past St. Francisville through Baton Rouge. Did you do that? We did, we went around Baton Rouge. Oh, we went around Baton Rouge. Okay. Uh, okay. We we try to stay off the interstate as much as possible. So we can see things. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, you drive on the interstate, all you see is interstate. Okay, yeah. You get off the interstate, you see <laughs> houses. Scenic view. Yeah. It is, it is. Yeah. And it might take you a little bit longer, but you know, 
we weren't in that big of a. Yeah, range. it makes me think like you're, you can take I-10 or you can take US-90, and US-90 is the scenic view, and it had to take you all the way over to Mississippi along the beach, or right. you could just take I-10 and just scoot over. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the way we usually try. You should have stopped travel. in St. Francisville, though. Yeah. We didn't. We're, we're, oh, St. Francisville. Yes. Okay. We're, if we're you, if you came down Gibbs Land. Okay, Gibbs Land. Yeah, it's past Baton Rouge. Uh huh. St. Francisville. They have the Myrtles Plantation. You gotta go to the Myrtles Plantation. Myrtles Plantation. The, the Myrtles. It's claimed to be the, the most haunted plantation in our our little state here, but it's a beautiful, beautiful plantation. Definitely, you just gotta go there, take a tour. Just from me to you, okay. you gotta stop at the Myrtles Plantation. Okay. And along the way, there's also like the Whitney Plantation and the Laura Plantation. Those are two other plantations. But just, if you're going up that way, that's okay. definitely something I would well, do. Then we, yeah. We'll see how that yeah. works out as far as time goes. So, I get to go I get to go up and see Bonnie and Clyde where they were shot. Yeah, in, and in, at Northern Gibbland, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, and that's on our agenda for tomorrow. So, so what were some of our earlier prominent uh, people who established New Well, I have Beanville. Uh, he was uh, governor at one time. His brother, Iberville, was one who really was in charge of him. Then he passed until Beanville took over. So other prominent figures, there's, I mean, there's, I don't, you know, where to start? Where to begin? I mean, just, oh, yeah. Anyway, so many governors and mayors. There's so many different stories. Good God. Uh, what, I mean, what are, you, what are you looking for? Anything in particular? Historical uh, aspects of New Orleans. How did it get together? How did it get together? Oh, well, and I mean, basically, <laughs> I mean, so a lot of people don't understand that, like, the, the time periods. A lot of people, when they get here, they don't realize that we were a Spanish colony at one time, so that throws them off, too, because when they're walking around, you see these little tiles on the side of buildings, like, during the Spanish colonial period. They're like, what? It's the French Quarter. But so, first of all, I mean, the era was selected in 1718, but there, the land, Louisiana, the Louisiana Territory, has claimed for King Louis XIV, and that's why we have Louisiana. But the thing is, uh, King Louis XV wasn't making money from the colony, and the whole point of having a colony was to make money. So he gave it to his cousin, King Charles III, the King of Spain. Uh, this is a way of thinking, of course, how with the War of England, uh, the Seven Year War, or better known in U.S. history as the French and Indian War. Now, of course, King Louis the uh, King Charles III really wasn't making money with the colony either. Pretty much gave it to Napoleon in a little secret treaty with their war against England once again. But Napoleon needed money for his war with England, so he sold the territory to the United States of America. So that's just general overall, you know, timeline there. So we're from 1718, the city, to 1762 was French. And from 1762 and they claimed to 1803 were Spanish and then 1803, late December 1803, we became territory of the United States of America. Basically one afternoon from what I read is the locals went down to Jackson Square, well it's known as Jackson Square today but it was known as Cross the Arms of one afternoon watching our officials roll the Spanish flag and raise the French flag and I'm thinking people were like, oh sweet we're French again but then they lowered the French flag and raised the US flag and I'm pretty sure people were like, what the hell is going on around here? So. That's pretty much the reason I purchased to some locals. Upset some of them, but I won't get into that. Then, uh, it's, oh, there's so many people. I mean, one that made the city. The people make the city. The people 
people make decisions. See, that's, that's what's important. Yeah, it's yes. the people. And it, it just, I mean, there's so many customs. I mean, so many, oh my gosh. Okay, I'll give you a story then. So, French colony originally, but here, so 1762, the secret treaty, the Treaty of Fountain Blue, which stated the Louisiana Territory is no longer French but Spanish. And the locals didn't find out, my understanding is, until 1764. Acting governor at the time informed them their king, their sovereign, King Louis XV, gave them away to his cousin, King Charles III. According to French mentality, my understanding is they believe Spain was the evil empire. So that whole Spanish Inquisition thing, because no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. I'm sorry. Then he was, <laughs> sorry, I went back to Mighty Python. <laughs> so, so the thing is, the new Spanish governor, 1766, shows up, Don Antonio Ulloa. He gets here, started changing things, their very way of life. Back one of his first rules, coming straight from the Spanish crown, they're not allowed to trade with any other colony unless it was a Spanish colony, which I discovered in an economics class doesn't make sense when you're a port city. It's kind of like, how are you going to make money trading with yourselves? So according to sources, they ignored him, kept trading with the Americans and the British. Apparently he kind of knew about it, but he, he didn't really say anything. But then one day he punished them all. I think one of the worst punishments, he had the nerve to outlaw the consumption of liquor on our streets. I mean, there's other things he did, but that's the one that really stood out to me. Because I'm like, you realize where we are right now in New Orleans? Are, are we, I mean, there's nothing else to do here, especially after you've been to the aquarium and a zoo. And they didn't have their aquarium and a zoo back then. So, yeah. Someone is saying the French, they're not going to take another minute of this. They begin to arm themselves. They're coming down to the square to have a little talk with the governor, but apparently somebody went and warned them. The story goes the Spanish governor's not going to sit around here with a talk of revolution. He made a decision, he made one quick. He calls in his secretary, they pack up a few things, like a quarter of the Louisiana treasury. He's heading out to the ship in the river and he's like, hey, arms, I'm going fishing, okay, but they'll be right back. I say, okay, he really didn't say that. I'm just, you know, paraphrasing. So he gets on this boat, takes out for Havana, Cuba. So the story is, the French realized, okay, the governor's left. So they had a little party. No, okay, it's a drunken street party, pretty much, bourbon street, okay, all right. So, so pretty much, I think that was the first revolution on North American soil, a block party and some white water rafting. People <laughs> <laughs> of France. But the thing is, they stopped posting guards in the river after five months. I mean, you just basically had a little revolution against Spain. You kicked the Spanish governor out. They stopped posting guards in the river, knowing it took longer than five months to raise an army in Europe, sent it across the Atlantic up the river. So imagine a surprise, right? October 1769, new Spanish governor shows up. How does he let him know he's here? Fires a cannonball over the city early in the morning, according to sources, which is rude, by the way. So they all woke up, hangovers and everything. They stumble down to the square. They see all the Spanish ships, ships in the river, and people are like, my bad. The new governor's here, he's not playing around. This man brings over 2,000 Spanish troops and mercenaries that take back a city of around approximately 3,190 men, women, children, Native Americans, and slaves. So he came down into the square, they put the keys to the city at his feet, then he introduced himself. The new Spanish governor at that time, no other than General Don Alejandro O'Reilly. Right. Oh, and I'm not making it up. I read that three times because I thought it was a misprint in the book. I was like, that guy's not Spanish. I mean, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that he's an Irish mercenary that works for the Spanish crown. He's known as Bloody O'Reilly to some people. Because the first thing he does, he fires the political leaders. He then arrested the revolutionary leaders. They don't even have a trial, they had an interrogation. 
So October 21st, 1769, he executes five of them, one as young as 17 years old, wow. over at Fort St. Charles, where the U.S. Jazz and Mint Museum is now today. You can read the sign yourself over in the yard. So the story goes, after the execution, their bodies are displayed in the square in front of their church, and the governor decreed that these men would be denied last rites in a Christian burial. The colony was 100% Catholic by law then. No last rites, no Christian burial. There's only one place for you to go. Nobody wants to go there, but who's going to go challenge an angry Irishman about it? Right. One man does, according to sources, the priest. He goes and talks to Raleigh, who is a devout Irish Catholic, informing the governor that what he's doing is wrong. It's an abuse of faith and an abuse of power. Raleigh basically informed the Padre, you question my authority one more time, I'll leave you in front of your church, rock with those men. Priest is stunned, shocked. Stories claiming he returned to his altar and began to pray for 21 days and nights while fewer and fewer people were showing up to Mass because apparently no one wanted to walk with their friends and loved ones as they rotted in the sun to attend service. Now there are sources claiming that in November 1769, someone answers the priest with a tropical storm blowing him out the Gulf of Mexico. Now according to sources, the Spanish soldiers, they don't know what to do in this weather, so they abandon their posts and a priest sees this. According to him, it's not a miracle, it's an opportunity. So he leaves his church, goes out into the city, gathered the family and friends of those five men. It is claimed that over 70 individuals return to the square, pick up the bodies, and take them inside the church. The priest, under a threat of death from the governor, cleaned them off with his bare hands, wrapped them in burial shrouds, gave them their last rites, and he promises to bury them in St. Peter's Cemetery. But in order for them to succeed, they had to be absolutely quiet. Because if anyone heard them, anyone, the governor would have them all executed. Uh, now, the first time I read that years ago, I was like, uh, 70 people trying to be quiet, doing something illegal? I mean, have you ever tried to do anything around a group of your closest friends before and not get caught? <laughs> right. it's, it's not happening, man. You're going to get busted. So, apparently, they sing the Kyrie on the way out to St. Peter's Cemetery. But the thing is, they buried those five men. And so, Governor O'Reilly finds out about this. According to sources, he has the guards executed for dereliction of duty. But he doesn't touch the priest. He writes two letters, one to the king, one to the Vatican, to have the priest removed. He felt if he would have touched the priest, he would have turned a man into a martyr. First rule of any dictator, never make a martyr. So, that's a great story. I think it was the first revolution on North American soil, but of course, professors were like, no, it wasn't a revolution. The French just wanted to stay French. I think it was a revolution. But I'm going to... You know, I won't, I won't argue with someone with a higher degree than me, you know, especially. That's happened before with Marie Laveau, in fact. <laughs> let's let's so, talk about Marie, because that was a real interesting story, too, so when we yeah, heard that last year. I'm going to give you a suggestion. If you want to, um, there's a book, I want to make sure I'm getting the title right, uh, The Legend and Reality of Marie Laveau, uh, A Voodoo Priestess in Orleans, The Legend and Reality of Marie Laveau. It's a book by Carolyn Long great researcher. Her books are freaking awesome. I mean, she even wrote about uh, Dolphine LaLaurie, the Madame LaLaurie. So, definitely get any of her books. But, um, so, Marie LaLaurie, oh my gosh. So, history is a story, you understand it? There are three oh, yeah. sides to every story. Your side, their side, and then there's the truth. When I first started as a tour guide, doing research about voodoo and Marie LaVeau, I, oh my, there are so many sources out there, and some of the stuff you're like, what? You know, but I'm confident that Marie Laveau was a free woman of color born in the city 1801. And that's simply because of the church records. That's right. The famous voodoo queen, devout Catholic. 
Even when she was known as the Voodoo Queen, she attended Mass in our church in a square. That Caron Truman's alley, that alley is named after the priest that actually married her. Yes, oh. yeah. And the church, okay? So for me, though, I find out that Marie DeVos is a devout Catholic, and I'm like, how the hell is a devout Catholic become the most famous Voodoo Queen in Orleans? In fact, how the hell did you even get into Voodoo when during the French and Spanish colonial purchase, colony was 100% Catholic by law? Now, granted, at the movies and a purchase, freedom of religion, but not even the United States government would allow Voodoo to be practiced. So, I was like, how, how do you get into voodoo? So, my best educated guess is because of the Haitian Revolution. The revolution that occurred in Haiti, many of those individuals fled there, arriving here to the city of New Orleans, bringing their slaves with them. So, perhaps she started studying underneath some practitioners, but she soon set herself apart from them because she had abilities or powers they did not have. Or if they had the same abilities and powers, hers were stronger. There are stories claiming the woman knew everything about everyone. Apparently, it didn't matter who you were, from the governor down to the lowest slave. And numerous individuals came to her for advice and help. Even read she remained eternally young, was able to be in more than one place at the same time. The house is all possible. I personally don't think it's because she made a pact with the devil or some evil spirits. The reason the woman knew everything about everyone? Sources of information. So her books and TV shows... American Horror Story, third season, The Covenant, claiming that by profession Marita Bow was a hairdresser. Mm. I was like, well, there we go right there, because I know. <laughs> I was like, there you go right there, she's a hairdresser. I know what he's talking when they get their hair done. Yet there are some individuals claiming she wasn't a hairdresser due to the fact that census reports does not list her profession. So I was like, okay, what? this was occurred at a lecture years ago, like, eh, whatever. But another source of information that was pointed out to me, the slaves, they're the largest network of information around. They're not allowed to testify in court, yet they see and hear everything that's going on. Oh yeah. There are 500 slaves gathered over in what is now in Louis Armstrong Park, what we call Congo Square. The slaves were allowed to gather there because of Code Noir, the Black Code. These articles stated you cannot kill a slave, beat a slave, separate a slave from his family. That's Saturday afternoon and Sunday off. They could work a second job, save up their money, purchase their freedom, and their family's freedom. Before the Civil War, in fact, one-third of the city's population were free people of color, as designated by Code Noir. So 500 slaves over in Congo Square, and you are the booty queen? Who are they coming to? Oh, yeah. Imagine what you could do with all that information, how you can manipulate people, influence people, and perhaps be the best fortune teller in town. Now, how does she remain eternally young and was able to be in one one place at the same time? Well, she gets married in the church, 1819, married a free man of color by the name of Jacques Perry. He disappeared shortly after the wedding. There's all kinds of stories about that. I personally think it's because she put his butt to the gator, so don't use that in a report like I did. Because uh, <laughs> they were like, really, where are you getting that information from? And like, he disappeared, and all of a sudden she's like, I'm the little Perry. How you know he's dead, girlfriend? But anyway. <laughs> I know, I watch CSI. But <laughs> So anyway, uh, she takes him to love her though after her husband disappeared, a gentleman by the name of Christophe Glafion. He was a white man that were not allowed to get married. Whites and coloreds could not get married at that time, but had multiple children. She has a daughter. Many of them don't live that long, yet they had a daughter named Marie Glafion who lived the longest. So sources claim Marie de Bowles secretly retired in 1867 or 1873, depending on what source you're going to read. Now, as far as I'm concerned, she secretly retired and her daughter takes her place. That's how she was able to do it. That's how she was able to be in more than one place at the same time and remain eternally young. 
Yeah, of course, at a lecture I attended years ago, I was informed that it was not our daughter. Individuals claimed that our daughter had distanced herself from voodoo practitioners. They even showed me some articles from local papers. There was some back and forth between us, and like I said, that's when I found out you should not argue with someone with a higher degree than you in an academic setting. It doesn't really work out well for you, especially if they have a PhD in history and you do not have a PhD in history. So I was like, fine, whatever. So, <laughs> well, and I've got, I've got a real bad attitude anyway. How do people learn history? The professor teaches the students, the students teach the students. The st the, yeah, I mean, as they become professors. And stories and change over a period of time. Right. Not only that, but the, but the whole concept of what history is could even remain the same, but it's still the same tainted history because the, the victors write the history. Yes. And it just keeps going down the line, and you don't really get the whole story. You get the story that's been told so, over and over Three sides to every story. Again. Your side, their side, and then it's the truth. Right. So I was a little frustrated about that, but then one day, straight up, I was nursing a massive hangover. I'm laying on a sofa, flipping through the channels, you know, I'm praying to God, oh God. <laughs> AMC, the West Side Story was playing on AMC. I was like, wow, I haven't seen a West Side Story in years. I'm lay here and watch the West Side Story. And that's when I figured it out. I, I know it, I know it sounds crazy. But if you've seen a West Side Story, you're going to understand this. So the two gangs in New York, Jets and the Sharks, at war with each other. The Italian gang leader falls in love with the Puerto Rican gang leader's sister. You recall her name? No. Maria. Okay. So he wants to actually to the dance. He's running around Spanish Harlem, the Italian gang leader, looking for Maria to ask out to the dance. He gets to the building that she's in, in Spanish Harlem, yells up at the building, Maria! And only one girl stuck her head out the window in Spanish Harlem. And for some reason, I was like, are you for real? Like, have you ever been to Spanish Harlem, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Cuba? You go there right now, yell Maria, and see how many women turn around and look at you. Are you out of your mind? It's a Spanish colony for the longest time. Even her daughter was named Maria. It's like, how many other girls were named Maria running around the city possibly impersonating this woman? So that's what I'm wrong with. Now, I could be wrong, but I'll let you decide. <laughs> I do know she passed on in 1881. That's because of all the obituaries. In fact, even the New York Times did an obituary Maria Laval when she passed on, which really blew my mind. Which, is awesome. And she's interred in St. Louis Cemetery number one. And according to some research, and her, the Glafion family tomb, there are 83 remains in that tomb. Yeah. Really? Yes. Okay, now explain why there would be 83 remains in a single tomb. Israel is how do we inter our loved ones, how the tombs are used. A lot go. of people, once again, we, they think we don't bury our loved ones here because we're close to the water table. There's, there's stories like, oh, you bury a loved one here below ground if it starts to rain, or push your way to the top, real heavy rain, tropical storm, hurricane, they'll go floating through Main Street, New Orleans, which of course is not good for tourism. So they say we use tombs because we're close to the water table, but reality, it's a Latin influence. We use tombs because it's about land management, because we use our tombs for multiple generations. Think about back home, 83 individuals in one tomb, how much land are you taking up back home with all your pots? Oh yeah. Yeah. An and we're basically taking up a pot right. with a tomb. So how it works basically, when there's a death in your family, depending on what you miss, different types of tombs. Like, for example, there's wall vaults, or as I call them, uh, apartments or condos. They're also known as ovens because it looks like a little oven opening, like a Dutch oven opening. But I call them apartments or condos because many of our cemeteries are known as cities of the dead. So like, 
but let's so, describe this wall to him. You've got walls around your cemetery so that are 8 to 12 feet wide. Yes. So basically, if you took a wall vault and placed it inside a building, back home, you would call it a mausoleum. Right. Yeah, that's what basically, that's what wall vaults are. So most of our, some of our cemeteries' walls, they're wall vaults. So how it works is, I call them apartment chicanos. Then we also have family tombs, which are the houses. Then we have society tombs, which I call the skyscrapers, okay? Well, because they're the largest tombs in the cemetery. So the wall vaults, how any tomb really works, and when there's a death in your family, if you own a tomb, you're going to contact who's ever in charge of the cemetery where your tomb is located at. Now, you're going to pay them an opening and closing fee. I'm understanding the fee will depend on the day they have to unseal your tomb, the tomb they're going to unseal, and a coffin they're going to need to dispose of. So before the service, of course, the employees arrive in the cemetery to unseal the tomb and make room for the next coffin. They come in, take out the plaque that's on the tomb. Now, some, in some of our older cemeteries, we're missing a lot of plaques in the tombs because initially they used marble for the plaques. And the problem with marble, it's porous. The heat and humidity here will cause marble to warp, crack, and eventually break. So they now use granite for the plaques. But right behind the marble plaque or the granite plaque, you'll find that your tomb is sealed up. And the past was just simply brick and mortar. So they unseal your tomb. They're going to reach inside and take out a bag of remains. They're now going to make room for the next coffin because within that wall vault, there's a coffin with that bag of remains. They simply remove the remains from the coffin, place those remains in the bag, if there's room in that bag, break up the coffin the remains were in, throw out the coffin, making room for the next coffin. They'll take the bag of remains out of sight, put a belt up in, the, in front of the entrance of the tomb, and then you have your service. Now, of course, you understand, no fancy coffin should be used in your tombs here, all right? Simple wood pine box or perhaps one of those cardboard boxes that you'll find in the crematorium. You'll bring your loved one to the cemetery, the employees will slide the coffin inside the tomb, you'll pay your last respects and walk away. Of course, after you leave, they'll seal up the tomb for you. They'll get that bag of remains, they take it out of sight, bring it back to the wall vault, place it inside with the coffin, seal up the tomb, put back up the plaque, and leave your remains within the coffin inside the tomb until they need to make room for someone else inside the tomb. And that's how the wall vaults work. And what's really amazing, and I wish we could go in the St. Louis Cemetery number one, I wish it was open. There's a wall vault in St. Louis Cemetery number one, 15 remains in a wall vault. From 1837 to 2004. In fact, from 1837 up into 1988, all 13 family members, they're in one bag. 1989 is in her own bag, and 2004 is in a coffin. So that's how it works. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah, it is. And, and they won't unseal your tomb, by the way, in less than a year and a day. Um, my understanding is there was con some concern about the spread of disease. Believing that remains inside the tombs will contaminate the rest of the citizens if they unsealed it in less time. Your traditional Christian mourning period or any mourning period, extra day. I was informed they waited an extra day, so in case you came back to pay respect to your loved ones, when I see the whole shake and bake process, like I happened to see one time, and freak out about it and be like, what? That's how it works? So a year and a day later, preferably a lot later, the next death in the family, they unseal the tomb and do the entire process over again. But in a wall vault, I read, I seen where you could get a wall vault for around $8,000. But I think the best bang for your buck, get yourself a family tomb. Get, it, that's your house. It's going to be passed down. family tomb. Multiple generations. Well, the family tomb, it's, you have one-tiered, two-tiered, even three-tiered family tombs. It's basically like a house. I think the best bang for your buck is get yourself a two-tiered family tomb, forty-five dollars to $60,000, depending on what they use to construct the tomb. Today, they now use reinforced concrete, maybe even granite, to construct the tombs here. In the past, they used just brick and mortar and stucco 
to protect the brick. So I think you should get a two-tier family tomb. And the reason why is because of the wait period. Someone else in your family dies before the year and the day is up, you'll have another four to use. Now if that happened to you on a wall vault, oh my God, they're not gonna until you're two in the last year and a day. What am I gonna do? They're not gonna submit. Don't panic. Here in New Orleans, are you gonna do? Start talking to the other side of your family. Spouses, family, cousins, even friends. So they room in one of their tombs, get permission to use their tomb. If you need to, you can rent one. Yes, you can rent one. Yes, yes. But then I was informed by uh, an employee of one of the cemeteries, you don't pay the rent, they will evict you. They'll put you uh -oh. in a kickout vault. Yep. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, get a two-tier family tomb. So you got the top floor and the bottom floor. And of course, eventually, when you need to make room for someone else in the family, they'll remove your remains from the coffin and place them in a body bag. Now, I did find out with the family tomb, you get your own body bag, like the wall water I was telling you about. So they break up the coffin and remains were in. They throw out that coffin, making room for the next family member on the top of the bottom floor. What do they do with the bag and iron? They slide it down into what is known as a creveau. Whose translation from French to English, creveau, cave, or pit? Oh, how I see it? It's the basement. Top floor, bottom floor, inside the tomb, 12, 36 inches into the ground. They'll place you down there to be with the rest of your loved ones for eternity. So you are guaranteed to be next to family here. You don't need a plot for your wife, your husband, your kids, your grandchildren, because they're all going to meet you in the family tombs. That's why I'm like, stop buying plots. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and so once you buy the plot, you own that plot, or do you, you own that plot? You own that tomb. You eventually pay it off over a period of time, right. and then it will be passed on to the next generation. Yeah. Okay. So they're able they to use the tomb. They yes, they do. They embalm. And they, and they still deteriorate. Oh, absolutely. Year, yeah. Mm -hmm. Even though they're yeah. embalmed. Well, they're going to keep. They won't unseal the tomb in less than a year and a day. So they're just going to wait to the next service. They're not going to go in right away to unseal the tomb. They're going to wait to the next family member needs to be interred before they unseal right. the tomb. Yeah. But, but they but won't do that unless. By that time, because of the heat, humidity, and everything oh, yeah. else, you yeah. decompose. Yeah. 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 Really, they, I won't get into detail about that. You have to talk to some of the employees who work in the cemetery. But basically, it's like dry chicken moan. Or okay. months. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, depending on what is really going on. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. But I, I talked to some of the employees before and I was like, hey, what how does it what is it like in the <laughs> Yeah, I won't go into that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I wanted to know, but I really yeah, uh, I wanted to know, but I, I really didn't want to know. I, I'm not sure how much they make, but you know, uh, just I think to yeah. deal with that it would they have to pay I, me pretty actually, well. yeah, I, I I I the thing is I I I met so many people around the world conducting tours, and I, I, I years ago, I'm, I'm recalled, I met a young gentleman in his 20s, uh, my understanding is his grandparents owned a funeral home, and his parents didn't want anything to do with it, so he took over, and he was quite wealthy, and he was like, and this is like 2008 with the depression, he said there's one thing that will never be affected by any economic issue, depression, whatever, death. Right. People die, and because of that, that's one thing that will never be affected by the economy. Tombs, selling tombs, graves, financial yeah. services. Your business yeah. might boom in a bad economy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, wow. So that's what I was thinking. I should get into selling tombs. And <laughs> Not only do I conduct a cemetery tour, I sell tombs. No. <laughs> yeah, no. But, um, yeah, so that's basically how the tombs work. Oh. So, and there's large tombs in our cemetery. They're known as society tombs. Like, like St. Louis, number one, and other cemeteries. You find large tombs, society tombs. The society in the past was pretty much, it provided benefits. And the benefit is the burial benefit. 
Okay. That's going to be expensive for your family. And in fact, if you don't have a family, why would you build a family tomb? If you don't have the money for a family tomb, you don't need to worry about it as a member of one of the societies. Yeah, like for example, Italian, French, Spanish, Portuguese societies. All right, so you pay your monthly fee. They have one of the large tombs constructed. That way, when you, your family members pass away, you'll be entombed in a large tomb, the skyscraper, as I call it. And that way, you'll be taken care of. Just like It's like a giant family tomb. So, yeah. Wow. So, and speaking of, you know, remember St. Louis number one? My favorite story. Cemetery. I mean, you got some famous individuals. You got Bernard over there, Homer Plessis in Turner, Marita Bowles in Turner, even Nicholas Cage as a tomb of St. Louis number one. Now, there's so many people over my favorite story and St. Louis number one. It's about the Italian Mutual Benevolent Society tomb. So, I think I remember this one. It's a big one right in the center yes, with, yes. with like eight sides. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So, uh, the movie titled Easy Rider. Right. <laughs> so, I didn't know about this movie until I started giving tours. Right? So, I was like, yeah, whatever. I really didn't pay attention to it. But then one day, I, I watched the movie. So, Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper, they produced and directed the movie, starred in the movie. Basically, they're on motorcycles coming from California to New Orleans from Mardi Gras. It's all about the adventures. They run into Jack Nicholas, and at one point, that's funny as heck. But eventually they get to the city of Orleans, bringing a blonde and a brunette with them from a brothel. The blonde, may she rest in peace, actress Karen Black, going to be rid of horror movies back in the day. The brunette, Tony Basil. Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. You're right, so fine. Okay, you're so okay, I'm like, okay. what? They're walking up and down Bourbon Street, and honestly, I cannot tell you what on Bourbon has seen in my life. I watched that scene so many times trying to figure out where they are. But the next thing I know is they're in St. Louis Cemetery number one. I was like, oh, I recognize this cemetery. They're sitting in front of the new Ladies of Hope Society tomb in the cemetery initially. Peter Fonda opens this aluminum foil that I had gotten from the highway guy carried along the way. Karen Black leaning against him. He's like, what's that? He's like, just take it. Then his husband's like, yeah, man, just take it. So I read, it was LSD. So I read after I watched the scene. But the next thing I see is they appear to be tripping in St. Louis Cemetery number one. Tony Basil strips down butt-naked in a cemetery. Her and Karen Black are running around the cemetery. Oh, my God. At one point, she had her arms wrapped around her knees, rocking back and forth. She's like, in the scene, I'm dead. I'm dying. Peter Fauna is on a statue of Italia on the Italian Mutual Benevolent Society tomb. He's kissing and hugging on the statue. like, I love you. do it. But what really shocked me, it looked like Dennis Hopper was shagging Karen Black between two tombs in a cemetery. Now, that's when I got up, fixed myself a glass of whiskey, and called my mother. So I was like, oh my god, mama, have you seen this movie? And she's like, what movie, baby? I'm like, Easy Rider. And of course, she's like, baby, you've been drinking. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, mom, I can't believe the church let them film it in the cemetery. Kind of find out the church did not know. They didn't know until local parishioners went to the movie and seen a scene. And because of this movie, why individuals are no longer allowed to film within a Catholic cemetery in our city anymore. Unless it's a documentary and you can get permission from the Noyne's Archdiocese. So a lot of people ask me, what was this movie filmed? What was this movie? Like Double Jeopardy. Ashley Judd, Tony Lee Jones, they used Lafayette Cemetery Number 1 up in the Garden District across from Commander's Palace. Because what was filmed in a cemetery back in the late 1960s. And if you want to wow. see the scene, DVD, scene 24, if I recall correctly, titled Drop an Acid. Yeah. <laughs> but I was thinking about, I think I was thinking about the Tennessee Williams. There was... I was told a story years ago. William Faulkner, writer, was really cool, lived in what is now Pirates Alley, 
but it's not a Faulkner House bookstore. My understanding is William Faulkner, a writer, lived there. Tennessee Williams at the time lived on St. Peter Street. In fact, streetcar named Desire, he wrote it here on St. Peter Street. Because where Royal Street is, they actually had streetcar line up and down Royal Street. Okay. And one of the streetcars was called Desire. So that's where that comes from. So the story I was told uh, by a gentleman who was on my tour years ago, claiming that Tennessee Williams bought one of William Faulkner's coats to walk over to this house and was walking back, got stopped by some patrolmen and they searched him and found heroin in a pocket. And he said, well, this coat's not mine. It's William Faulkner's coat. And he goes over, they take him over to William Faulkner's place. And William Faulkner's like, I've never seen this man before. Close the door. So that's the story I was thinking about. I apologize. I did the grateful we're, we're dad. Good. I, I apologize yeah, about that. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. I, I, that was one of the reasons I, uh, that it brought me down here was I had to go walk on Bourbon Street where the bus, whatever now, the bus, I don't Bourbon remember Street, all the story of the bus. Yeah, the Bourbon Street wasn't always like that. A lot of people don't realize. there was Bourbon Street was actually residential, a lot of residential. It didn't really become what it is now today. I would say it started after World War II. There's a great little book I'm reading about the history of Bourbon Street. It's freaking awesome. you got to get this book. I'm unable to recall the name of the author, but the history of Bourbon Street. So really we're talking... The 80s, 70s, Bourbon Street started becoming what it is now today, especially in the early 90s. So, yeah, Bourbon Street was actually residential. It wasn't a street like everybody thinks it is now today. And it's not named after the whiskey, by the way. It's named after the, the royal family, the House of Bourbon, the French and Spanish royal family. I'd be like, oh, the whiskey? I'm like, no, 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 the House of Bourbon. That's what it's named after. Okay. Okay. Well, this is a good place. We're going to take a sponsor break real quick, and then we'll come right back into this. Okay. Okay. We're back, and uh, Ernie's going to take us on a little bit more tour. What, what were we called? You said you were going to talk to us about the outlaws or the gangsters wow. and yeah. some of that kind of stuff. Can we go down that path? Yeah, so really... A lot of people don't understand. I found this out, which really is a fascinating. We had a larger flux of Italians and Sicilians in the city of Orleans. In fact, my understanding is larger than New York City itself. Really? So we almost had a little Italy here. So what is now Down River in the French Quarter here and the Philburg Marigny almost became a little Italy. And of course the Black Hand, but I know as the Mafia today, came with them. And they were running protection racket down in the area. So you had that influence right there. Uh, I won't say any family's name, but there was a well-known individual here who supposedly, according to some sources, part of the responsibility for having Kennedy assassinated. I'm going to leave out the name. I'm going to leave out because I have family still here. I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he, of course, eventually was uh, taken down by the FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigation. Um, so that was down... Well, like we call Lord, the Lower French Quarter. And so there were some incidents from like the beginning. You have incidents of shootings and bombings that occurred in the French Quarter from the Black Hand, the Mafia. Uh, well, Beauregard Kai's house, there was an incident there where the gentleman defended his family, shot three Black Hand members, killed two of them, seriously wounded one. And so the Mafia wanted to get even with him sent some more guys over, a couple guys over, but they were making too much noise climbing into the courtyard, so he let with his shotgun into the courtyard, chased the guys off. Uh, they were actually brought up on charges of murder, but the charges were dropped 
because it pretty much was considered self-defense. And that occurred downriver, which is really awesome. I'm leaving out the names because they're still family members. Right? Right. I don't want to get in trouble. We're leaving out the names. You can look it up. The Burger Kai's house. And by the way, uh, the Burger Kai's house, right across from the Older Sign Convent, that building is one of the oldest. That's the oldest building in the French Quarter, I believe. Only the French colonial buildings we have left there, the Old Orsline Convent, but that's a different story. But right across the street from it is the Beauregard Kai's house, the Bonifor was the storage area, upstairs where the family would have lived. So General P.G.T. Beauregard actually lived there for a short while after the Civil War. He was the gentleman who ordered the first shot spot in the Civil War. It was really great. That's a museum now today. You could visit that museum. And my understanding is today with COVID, you have the, it's a self-guided walking tour every hour on an hour. In the past, it used to be a guided walking tour every hour on an hour. And they have a garden right next door to the house. It's really awesome. So that down there, in fact, that was Little Italy down there, almost Little Italy down there. And the church that's added on to the Old Orsaline Convent, St. Mary's Catholic Church, it's no longer a functioning church. It's used for special occasions. It was added on to the church there, on to the Old Orsaline Convent, that is for the large influx of Italians, the Sicilian terrorists, so they asked service down river there. So, uh, and the Ursuline nuns, that's another story too, but yeah, that's pretty much as far as I want to go into with the whole mafia thing, because I, I like breathing. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> we like breathing. So I, I like it, but you can look it up, I can, I can give you the references, by the way, for the pamphlets, and you can get the pamphlets and the books from the uh, Beauregard Kai's house, so you can find out the names for yourself. Me, I'm just, you know, I, I never know. I'll be walking around and a family member's like, hey, you! And I'm like, oh. <laughs> so I, I like to leave out the names. I really don't, yeah. But yeah, there's some really interesting, yeah. I'll see you a list of references for the, uh, the, okay. the mafia. And then, well, also down there where the French market was, that was one of the first areas of prostitution, really. Prostitution ran rampant throughout the city before Storyville, our famous red light district. So where the French market is was a nice little area. It was it was a pretty bad area. It wasn't really a nice area. There's all kind of stories about the crimes and the prostitution that went down there. But one of our city councilmen, he wanted to get rid of prostitution in the city of Owens in the eighteen nineties. He was unable to secede. Yeah, kinda of funny. And you know, really a largely Catholic area. We cannot get rid of the oldest profession in the world here. I really want to get into that. So they, they say, opened a red light district in the city of Orleans. Pretty much the end of Basin Streets, where Canal is, where the Iberville housing projects used to be. That was the red light district, famous red light district known as Storyville. Basically, it was named after the city councilman who tried to get rid of prostitution, Sydney Story. So the story goes, they infamously named the area after him. My understanding is he wasn't really happy about that. So, yeah, yeah. But they got the order to close Story Bill in 1917. I found out yeah, World War One Department of the Navy, as an Army veteran, was like, really, of all the branches in the military, the Navy closed the red light district? Well, there was a naval station across the river in Algiers Point at the time. World War One, 1917, the Admiral was concerned about diseases among his sailors, so he closed Storyville, making it illegal. So, yeah, that Storyville, that's a great story. There's a lot of stories with Storyville over there. Oh, I, I don't know who listens to your podcast, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that I get a free warning. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So we've been pretty <laughs> with this to where... So, uh... Yeah. Um, 
Well, so what other areas of New Orleans do people need to see when they come down here? The Garden Besides, District. I mean, everybody uh, knows about the French Quarter. The Garden District. And, the and yeah. I guess maybe let's cover a little bit more. More modern times, the French Quarter has been known for a lot of music and a lot of that type of stuff. Yes, yes. But my experience, uh, well, when I came down here for Mardi Gras, it's a wild place, and I want to dispel some bad rumors, because before I came down here, I was told I was going to get killed. Uh, at Mardi Gras. I mean, that's what everybody says. It's, it's horrible, it's bad, it's, it's wicked, and all of that kind of stuff. I found Mardi Gras to be so mentally stimulating. I refer to it as when you go to Las Vegas, because everybody goes to Las Vegas. They've got all the lights and the seat and all of that kind of stuff. And it's just overwhelming with all the mental stimulation when you're looking up at the buildings. Mardi Gras, on the other hand, is... Las Vegas on the ground. I mean, the costuming, the the everything that's going on. It's just it's a big party. But I found everybody to be very amiable. I found everybody to be very polite. You've got people of of every race in the world here, and everybody's shaking. Well, they're not shaking hands probably after COVID, but they're bumping into each other. They're excuse me. They're grabbing for beads and when and that are being thrown from the balcony and as the beads come down, if somebody else has their hands on them, you let go. I mean, there I saw no fights. Wow. There's a big police presence, but oh, absolutely. there wasn't any. It was more of a big love fest than what it was a big hate fest. I think that the problem is with Mardi Gras. A lot of people when they think about Mardi Gras, they just think about Bourbon Street. Right. And there's more to Fat Tuesday than Bourbon Street. There's more to Carnival season than Bourbon Street. Uh, it just it it blows my mind. I mean, St. Charles Canal Street. That's where our larger parades come down because the floats are so large. But at one time they ran through the French Quarter, but the floats got so large they now come down River on St. Charles Street, turn on Canal Street. And when we're talking parades, we're not talking like. People They're marching. We're talking yeah, floats, large floats. You've got to go to uh, the Blaine Kearns uh, uh, Mardi Gras World. They show you about, show you how they construct the floats. It's really an awesome. Uh, go down to the Mardi Gras like Museum. Twenty four hours a day. Yes. I yes. mean, it's one parade after, after another, another, and twenty four. Well, not during carnival. Well, carnival season. Yeah, carnival season starts. Uh, 12 days after Christmas, 12, what we call 12th night. And uh, according to Christian briefs, that's when the three wise men visited the baby Jesus. So that's when carnival starts. Now, as far as I'm concerned, bad Catholic Garrett, I'm like, this is the time to get all our sin out of the way before Lent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also there, I have crews, and there's like debutante balls. And now, when we um, say crews, these uh, organizations, people, yes. Like they're, they're, they're like the Masonic Hall or the... Uh, no, I'm really they're, they're, they have but different... They're, but they're, they're big organizations. Yes, There's like large organizations. People would crews. be able to relate to as the Kuwans uh, yes. or whatever, mm -hmm. and they call them crews. Yes. Okay, mm -hmm. now explain more on this crew. Uh, there's different crews. I mean, uh, well, we've lost quite a few crews, but I, I mean, you... Some of the older crews, like Zulu, for example, I was actually a social aid. Zulu is a social aid and Pleasure Club Society, according to their sources. That's one of, one of the oldest uh, crews we have here. Uh, Rex is another old crew they have here in the city. And basically, I mean, Mardi Gras, it's just really the day before Ash Wednesday. It's, it's Fat Tuesday. That's what Mardi Gras trans loosely translates from French, Fat Tuesday. So you get all the fatted cat. You get all your 
they're fun out the way as far as I said before right. Lent begins. Lent for me now today is more like recovery time. Sometimes I can't wait. I'm like, give me my 40 days of rest. Because <laughs> I'm getting a little older, can't hang like that anymore. But I really, uh, Mardi Gras, a lot of once again, big misconception. Mardi it's really a family event. I remember when I was younger, when we lived in New Orleans East, I, I loved Mardi Gras. It was a time where, as a child, I was able to eat and drink anything I wanted. I mean, I, I ate myself sick, you know, on, on, uh, on Mardi Gras. And it's, it's really a family on St. Charles's families. It's, you run into people you know. It, New Orleans, it's a city, but it's a small town. I mean, here in this city, it's, it's literally, I tell people all the time, there's a, the same seven degrees of separation. Normally, is like one degree of separation. I assure you, I know somebody that knows somebody who knows somebody. And I literally, you're talking to somebody, oh, you know them? And like, it's, it's a small neighborhood. And so Monte Carlo for me, is a celebration. Yes, everybody, you know, you get your little sin out of the way before Lent. But it really, it is a family thing. When people think of Monte Carlo, for some reason, they think about Bourbon Street, people showing off their breasts, ladies showing off their breasts, or throwing beads and stuff like that. But uh, it's for us, it's a time to get together. It's families, friends. It's a it's a great celebration well, about life. There's parades going on all yes. over the place. Besides, throughout not just Orleans Parish, you have parades in Jefferson Parish, you have parades in St. Tammany Parish, you have parades going on, and usually they'll come along the weekends. There are a few parades that occur during the weekdays and usually those are the walking crews like one of my favorite <laughs> is a uh, uh, crew de vue i love that i love crew de vue crew de vue is awesome they're, they're a parade group i i i recall telling people years ago don't bring your kids to crew de vue because it's satire adult satire and it's <laughs> but, uh, yeah that's why i won't do uh tours during crew de vue because my first year i became a tour guide in 2003 so it's 2004, my first Mardi Gras season. I became a tour guide, I think it was July of 2003. So my first carnival season conducting tours, I remember conducting an 8 o'clock ghost tour, and Crew de Vue was running. And uh, I had a couple of families on the tour, and a lady was like, oh my God, it's a parade, we should go see it. And in my mind, I know it's Crew de Vue, so I'm like, I don't think this is the parade for you and your family. This is... This is not really a parade for you. And she was like, oh, no, it's okay. Excuse me. No, it's okay. And I was like, uh, <laughs> okay. So she runs down. We were on Charter Street, if I recall correctly. She runs down to Domain Street. And for some reason, they were turning on Domain at that time. It was 2004. So she runs down to Domain Street. Now the family follows. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm looking at the, at the family. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. So we get down there. And could have been satire. So I recall there's a lady in a toga. She's kind of running down the street. She's got an egg on her head. She's like, oh my God, they're going to get me. Oh my God, they're going to get me. And so right behind her is a bunch of guys in togas with sperm on their head. Just like, they're, just that. they're like, yeah! And I was like, holy crap. And I turn and I look at the family and the mother's just like, oh my God. And they're drawing little, little trinkets and stuff like that. Like oysters with little pearls in them. And that was a but anyway, so yeah, um, and, I, and I look at the family and uh, the mother's covering the kids' eyes and the, the father's like, nope, you wanted to watch this, so we're going to watch it. So that's, 
So now that's one reason why I take golf for uh, Coup de Vue. I'm like, I don't do chores during Coup de Vue. They walk through the French Quarter. And that's a great time. I have a lot of friends that come into town during that time. Uh, so I, I love the parades. I love gathering my family and friends and just, just yes, oh, definitely eating. Oh, my God. And having a few drinks. Um, a lot of people don't understand that. Like we, before COVID, I mean, I have experienced things. I'd, literally being in a courtyard when I lived on, uh, St. Philip Street and pool in the courtyard loved the place had some friends over and it was late it was after midnight I think it was going on one o'clock and they're like oh you know I, I want to get some cigarettes and you know we don't we don't have any more beer and I'm a little hungry so I guess we'll call it a night I'm like what do you mean call it a night That's, you don't have to call it a night they're like well where are we going to get you know this stuff I'm like it's just like for example there's 24 hour places here at Birdie Mart, Quartermaster, just the name of few. So like I just called up Birdie Mart. I'm like, hey, we need cigarettes, some food, and some liquor, and can you bring it to us? And they delivered it. Like, 1 o'clock in the morning, I paid cash, and my was like, oh my God, I would die here. And I'm like, so you just kind of maintain yourself. A lot of people get here, and they don't realize it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Just take your time. We, a lot of people... Numerous individuals, I've been told this sometimes, you know, oh, you guys party too much there. It's, no, it's our way of life. We're not partying. I mean, for us, it's social. We're living. It's a social city. I, I, I walk down the street, I run into people I know, and I'm like, hey, what are you doing later? And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll meet you at Boondocks. Or I'll meet you at the bar, we have a couple of drinks. Or, like, I made plans for a brunch. And I'm like, yeah, we'll go have brunch. And then... We'll have a couple of drinks afterwards. It's just, it's really a social city. It, you don't plan to get drunk. It just sometimes happens, you know? I mean, you go to Commander's Palace for the lunch special. Here's something else. Commander's Palace, all right? Lunch special. Three-course lunch, 25-cent martinis. You don't plan to get drunk, but limited three, by the way, which is more than enough. You don't plan to get drunk, but you happen to drink 25-cent martinis, you're like, you're dragging yourself on the street, Carl St. Charles. He's like, oh my God. Or you take it a little bit back. You're like, what? It's, we're just a social city. I, I, and that's one thing I love about... Yes. One thing I love, I love Commander's Palace. They, I love their lunch special. I've yet to eat dinner there, but I, I really like the lunch specials they have there. Um, there's some great restaurants there. I've been to Antoine's, New Town, oldest restaurant in our nation, according to sources. Definitely the oldest restaurant in our city. Uh, Galatours, I've eaten at their steakhouse. I've yet to actually eat at Galatours for dinner. Um, Brennan's, the Brennan's restaurants. Yeah, there's food here. Oh my gosh. Uh, Where's the best place to find the music? The music? It's one of those things that, it's, that it's, when I've been here, I mean, even like yesterday, we walked all over the French Quarter, and there's bands playing inside the different bars, but I've always been under the impression that down here you would find the big jazz bands. And oh, no, not that anymore. That's, uh, that's, it, it seems like all Bourbon that Street now is more like cover bands. If you're looking for jazz on Bourbon Street, that Fritzel's uh, on Bourbon Street. Also, if you're looking for jazz, well, they're not open now. Uh, right across the street from us is Preservation Hall, Dixieland Chance Music, a uh, well-known band. But they great. don't just have the street music. I mean, now well, they have local musicians. musicians. Like, yes, you have local musicians who perform on the street. You do have street musicians who perform on the street. But really, what I look for, I look for who I want to hear. I mean, I there were magazines. Uh, where you at? Uh, 
you go to the back of the magazine and I tell you, you know who's playing, performing that night, and you go to that bar. Like, for example, one of my favorite musicians, I love him, John Boutte. Uh, Monday night, DBA. Uh, go see him. Then, then when I first moved into the quarter, 2003, 2004, there was Donald's Bar and Grill, which is now closed. Uh, Monday night was Bob French, may rest in peace, in the Tuxedo Jazz Band. So that's right, you pay a cover, no, a $10 cover, you go in, there's Bob French, he's freaking awesome, and it was red beans and rice, uh, yeah, and, and, and barbecue chicken. And you, you never know what's going to happen, you never know what musicians are going to show up. Charmaine Neville, Monday nights, that was uh, Snug Harbor on Frenchman Street. A lot of times, the Frenchman Street more became what individuals were looking for uh, as far as music is concerned. I mean, Kermit Ruffins, he performs around the city. That's another great musician. Then you have the Rebirth Class Band. You, you got them upriver here uh, on uh, Oak Street. I just, you, you just follow the musician you like or the bands you like. And depending on where they play, that's when you go. I just, it's, that's what I did. You know, I just, I look for the musicians. You know, I, especially when I have any friends in town, you know, I, if, oh, another one, I remember my parents came and visited me and I found out DeBell Crawford was performing at Snug Harbor and DeBell, awesome musician, great voice, just, you gotta look this guy up, he's, he's amazing. So I found out he was performing, so I bought my parents tickets to see DeBell Crawford at Snug Harbor and they loved it, you know, and so cool. you just have to look up the musicians you, and you gotta, you gotta get out and explore, you know, it just, it might not be your, your taste, but you never know what's going to happen. What's going to happen at a club? That who might walk in to have a, just a jam session with musicians? I, I mean, there are some amazing stuff I've seen, and, and in my life, you never know who's performing anywhere. Just it's just you got to look at. You just got to look it up. You got to take the time, and that's something I do. I look up who's performing. You never know who's at the House of Blues. Back in the day, you used to love that, you know. Tom Jones, he's at the House of Blues. What, you know? Uh, another, uh, oh, I'm having brain cramps on some of the band's names. Uh, oh my God. Uh, well, then you have the big concerts come through here too. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're, the Dome or the, they're at the, <laughs> what's they called? What is that? The Smoothie King Center. So you do have the musicians that come here. People come here a lot for that. And I think there's no other place to go really. But what I love about New Orleans, you can walk pretty much everywhere. Everything's kind of close by. And if you don't want to walk, you got the streetcar. I mean, is or the, the or, we saw the mules and yeah. The, well, well, they don't. They're not. They're detours. They're really well, not about transportation. They, they do not have the pedicabs you can take. Uh, but it'd be cheaper to take a cab, but that's just me. But I've taken pedicabs before. They're pretty cool. But I guess so, I mean, you don't have to walk if you want to, but everything is like within distance. I mean, you go to the Superdome and you can come over here to the quarter. I mean, it, it was 24 hour pretty much. I mean, there were 24 hour bars we had in the city before COVID. And oh my God, I really, I remember when I moved on Bourbon Street, I now live on Bourbon Street. Literally walking, I woke, it was my birthday, December 24th. I woke up three o'clock in the morning on my birthday, and I was like, you know what? I, I want to, I want to drink. And I, 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 it's just me by myself. I walked out the door. I walked down Bourbon Street, and the next door they closed up Johnny White Sports Bar. I walk in. I know the bartender. I'm like, hey, hey, how you doing? I'm like, hey, you know what? I want a Bloody Mary at three o'clock in the freaking morning. That's cool. I mean, other than Vegas, where else are you gonna do that? Right. And it just, <laughs> you know, it's one thing. 
that I just really love about this city. And, and you and, live on Bourbon Street right yes, now. Yes. Okay, and, and how do you feel safety-wise? And things have changed, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm not really concerned. Uh, I mean, I keep my I, situational awareness, just observe right. what's going on around you. If I see an argument occurring or people about to fight, I leave that area. I don't walk down that area because the problem with that, and you, you've heard about the shootings recently we've had on Bourbon Street. When I was younger, I don't recall shootings occurring on Bourbon Street. Like, how the hell were people shootings? And unfortunately, what happens is the people who are standing by are the ones who get shot, not the people they're shooting at. So I'm like, if I see an argument or anything, just be aware of that. Just leave that area. But yeah, don't hang out there looking and seeing what's going on. Don't pull out your phone like, I'm going to film this fight. Don't be an idiot. Leave the freaking area, okay? Because if they start shooting, you might be the one who gets shot because they're not going to shoot the person they're shooting at. I mean, it's happened so many times. Like, what the hell? But I, I feel fine. Um, we'll see. Bur- but I've ne- I haven't been out at Mardi Gras when we've been down here. We usually leave by 9 o'clock. Oh, yeah. You know, that's before um, I was saying, oh, yeah. good stuff happens. Yeah, no, for me, bedtime is now 10.30. But before, I literally sat in bars until the sun came up. You know, but that's when I could recover a lot sooner. Now, I'm, right. you know, now it takes days to recover. Yeah. <laughs> Not my early 20s anymore. That's why we didn't see the fights and some of that stuff. Well, it's not really about fun. What happens is Aiden Eagle, people are intoxicated, and right. that's what the issue is. But usually here, like, this is my favorite place. No, we know everybody. It's bunch of locals we have drinks and when we get our little drink on we're like hey i'm going in i'm good night guys i'll see you tomorrow so yeah i mean i mean you don't plan to get drunk (laughs) i've had it though where i've had to pass doors i I used to contract out with a larger company and one of my favorite memories is when i first moved on bourbon street and the thing is with see a lot of people like we go to bars we don't go to bars we go to bartenders wait this is how (laughs) This, uh, we really, I, for me, I know what day it is when I walk down the street and I see who's working behind the bar. I'm like, oh, okay. And if there's another bartender behind the bar, I stop. I'm like, what? Oh, it's going to always oh, switch shifts. I'm like, you need to let somebody know you switch shifts, okay? Because in my mind, I'm thinking it's Monday, but now I think it's Wednesday because I see you behind the bar. You need to cut that out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we go to bartenders. It's not just a bar. We Literally, you walk in, the bartender knows you, you know the bartender, and they, they already know what you want to drink. You walk in the bar, they're like, uh, Guinness? Shot? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's sometimes, though, when you're doing tours and you're not, you're no drinking during tours, but you walk in, they're like, can I get a bottle of water? And they're like, what? what? You want a bottle of water? That's tour. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, but it, it does happen sometimes. You run into people, and, you know, you just be walking, simply walking to... Everything I need is within walking distance. I literally walk out my door, walk down here to the bar. Yeah, I'm only eating a pocket of bourbon. I don't have that far to go. But the commute back in the day, when the, yeah, oh my gosh, because you know so many people, you run into people. Lori, I'm like minutes away, but I would sometimes leave at 30 minutes before the start of the tour because it would take me at least 30 minutes to get down to the bar because I'm going to run into somebody I know or somebody I holler at me. I'm really, I. One of my favorite mess-ups. Walking to work when the Johnny White's were open. Johnny White's corner corner pub. I know the bartender. I won't mention any names because I don't want to get in trouble. So I know the bartender. And I go in. I know a few people. And they're like, oh, let's do a shot. So I'm like, okay, yeah, shot. And, you know, I shoot the mess. And then walk right next door. There's Johnny White's on the wall. Of course, I know the bartender. Hey, Ernie. And I walk in. And there's some people I know. Like, hey, oh, shot, shot. Okay, shot. Ooh. 
I come down here to St. Peter Street. I make it left. Johnny White's Sports Bar is open. Hey, Ernie, I know the bartender. I haven't seen you in a while. Come on in. You know, you have a shot and you're talking to some people. Then right next door, Boondock Saints. Hey, okay, okay, I'm going to come have a shot. And then you're like, I, I can't do this tour. I'm going to have to pass. When I work for the large company, I'm like, I, I got to pass this tour because I'm drunk. Well, why didn't you call out? I wasn't planning to get drunk. I was just walking to work. And I had four or five shots on the way to work, okay? So, <laughs> you got enough tour guides out here. You don't need me, okay? So I'm like, oh, my God. And uh, so, yeah, it's a great experience. I literally sat at this. One time I was at the starting location, and because of people you know, I've literally been carried when I start a location over here to the bar. It, it's, as you can see with that, you know, that law enforcement, it, owned by law enforcement guys, so some of the guys I know from out of town, you know, I'm a veteran, so this is where I feel comfortable. <laughs> I literally, they have walked down, picked me up, and took me away, and uh, one of the company I contacted with is like, I guess you're not doing a tour tonight, and they're like, nope, he's not. And I, they carried, literally sideways, carried me down to the bar, brought me into the bar, like, give us a shot, and like, you know, because my friends are in town, you know, I'm like, oh my god, dude. <laughs> it's like a family here. Yes. It's, it sounds it's, like yeah. a big family. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Sorry to get off on a tangent with that No, story. no, that's, that's all good. It's all part of the, part of the experience. The experience, yeah. That's, that's what we're looking and for. And that's what, that's what New Orleans is. A lot of people, I think you... You make connections with people, you make lifelong friends, and they come into town. And like you see them multiple times throughout the year. Right? People from Miami, St. Louis, from all around the world. And they, Ernie, we're coming into town, and you're like, you make plans, you hook up with them, you go to brunch, you go to lunch, you go to dinner if you don't have a tour, and, and you just hang out. And it's, it's, it's special. And there's, I think there's really. I've lived a few other places in another place I would rather be. And it's really amazing. Because everywhere else, it's cool initially when you're there, but then eventually I'm like, this is boring. I mean, the suburbs are boring, man. What do you get? You guys just, you go to work, you come home, you eat, you watch TV, go to sleep, get up and do it all over again. I'm like, here, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> every day is an adventure. Yes, it literally is. It's every day is an adventure. Every tour is an adventure. You never know who you're going to run into on your tour. People think I know so many people, but it just, it's a neighborhood. The French Quarter is a neighborhood. A lot of people don't understand that. They, they get to the French Quarter and they think it's like one of the big uh, playgrounds in Florida or California. They think it's a studio. And I'm like, no, it's, this is a neighborhood. People live here. We work here. And... So a lot of people don't understand that, so they don't grasp that. So literally, just walking down the street, you're going to run into somebody, you know, you're going to say hi. It's just, it's amazing, and I love it when it happens on my tours. But, I but you know, you can feel that as yeah. a tourist, too. Yeah. I, I, I feel welcome here for some reason. Mm -hmm. I mean, for all the insanity and all the tourism and all the uh, touristy shops, you still have the down-home type shops here also. It's, it's just... It, it, it is a comfortable feeling. Yeah, you never know. Even though it's, it's Linda a, and I were talking about that yesterday. You know that she was asking me, "What do you like more, this or or the rural whatever?" And I said, "I like the mixture. I, I really like the small town uh, driving the back roads and that type of stuff. But at the same time, I really like the bigger areas and places like Natchez felt very homey. Yes, places like New Orleans." 
New Orleans, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> you, you can't tell that I'm from the north. And that's another thing. All you guys have accents. Well, Absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> We're the ones because I'm down south. We're the ones. i got to keep telling myself, no, you're the one with the accent, Lauren. Uh, but, you know, when, when we're down here walking around, it, it doesn't feel crowded. It doesn't feel uh, overwhelming. Uh, you're walking with your, with your umbrella today, and everybody's polite. And, and it's just a, it's, it is a homey That's time. It. It, it's awesome. I yeah. love New Orleans. Yeah, and I will be back. I've been back three times, and people say, "How do you go down there? That place is just such a madhouse." And I'm going, "But it's nice." No, it's for me. You get that a lot from people. They either love the city or they hate it. Literally, there's no seem to be in between. And there are moments I I love New Orleans. There's no other place I'd rather be. And for me, in my mind, how I see New Orleans for me, and this might sound crude. I'm not trying to be rude, but for New Orleans, to me, it's like a lady. I mean, this city is different day or night. It's literally day or night. It's different. During the day, charming, elegant. You know, you invite you on the front porch, have a glass of sweet tea or lemonade. But at night, she will make you do things you will never admit to your priest in a confessional booth. <laughs> <laughs> That's what this city is to me. It's like a great woman. I mean, and you just, for me, anytime I get down or I, or I, I just, like, I get angry about something, you know, it's, the people make the city. I love the people. I love the city. Um, but sometimes people upset you. You know, like you dislike people. You like people. I you know, yeah, you know yeah. like, I love people. I love everyone. Sometimes I just don't like them. And so sometimes when you, I've been to that point where I, I go down to the river and I go down to the moonwalk and I just sit there and like you can hear the city talk to you. I know it sounds crazy, but literally, you just sit there for a moment and you're just like, ugh. Well, that riverfront's beautiful. Yes. I mean, you can just go down there and sit and watch the ship ships. traffic. And, and that's and it. And you, the water's just right there. Yeah. I mean, it, it's and it's so amazing to me because I'm like, you can literally hear the city talk to you and, like, and you just let it go. And you're like, all right, let's get back to it. And uh, yeah. really, there's, as I said, there's no other place I would rather be. The one more thing I would like to bring up real quick is there are lots of tours you can take in mm-hmm. the city. Yes, uh, absolutely. And, and I highly recommend giving Ernie a call. You can get a hold of him on the web. He's got a website. Ernie'sTours.com. Ernie'sTours.com. That's where I found him again. <laughs> I kept track. I, I kept his name because I was impressed with Ernie. Uh, and I would highly recommend a tour with Ernie. But uh, the, t- the city has super stringent requirements on uh, tour guides. Yeah, I mean, I was told one time that we, we, we go through a lot. I mean, when I first got my permit, and uh, your issue permit, you, it's simple. I mean, it's really, I, I like it. You have to take a background check, and in the past you had to do a urinalysis, make sure you're on drugs. I mean, you don't have to do a urinalysis anymore. But background check, urinalysis, um, fingerprints, and you have to take a test, of course. To, the uh, test is the part I was I was talking that, yeah, about. Yeah, which is great. You shouldn't know what you're talking about. And I constantly learn. I don't know everything. And then people have come to me and they're like, hey, what about this musician? What about music? And like, I, that's not something I myself find interesting. I know a little bit. But there are individuals who conduct music tours. I'm like, go see them. You see, for me, it's not just the tour that matters. It's the tour guide that matters. Find something like for me. I love I love cemeteries. I love the whole process. That's my favorite tour. I and I give the ghost tours. I give 
history tours, but there's the tour guides is what matter. The tour companies, the tour operators, they're the tour operators are pimps. Right. And the tour guides and you got lots of places that, that have yeah. the, the fronts yeah, 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 oh, yeah, number one no tour. You know, what makes you the number one tour company? Well, we have the best tour guides and I've been out here for eighteen years and it's come to the point where like, well, I don't need you anymore as a tour operator. I can just well, then that's do it myself. We found you. We've yeah. been the number one tour. Yeah, I like. Um, yeah. Yeah, like just I can do it myself, and really, it's the tour guide that matters. Um, it is. And there are great tour guides. They're good tour guides, like you know more than I do. That I was like, you got to go see them. Like for the garnish, and be like, do you do garnish tours? Like no, but I know somebody who does. And that's and, what you said. Uh, yeah, and you know, I can see me down river here, and uh, I, and, and I, I just. It's really that connection with other tour guides that I think makes the difference. A lot of Aiden Eagle gets involved where people are like, oh, I work for this tour company. And the tour company doesn't matter. For me, it's my military experience, lead by example. If a tour operator cannot conduct a five-store tour in the weather, then shut up. You know, really, that's just like whatever. Just because you got the money to start a tour company and you know how to run a tour company, that's great. But can you conduct the tour yourself? Can right. you give a five-star tour to save your company? And so what it comes down to, what I'm trying to do right now is change it where it's a tour guide that matters. It's really a tour guide. I want people to stop going to just, you can look at the tour companies, but look at the reviews, Look at, find a tour guide. I think you should have a right to be able to go to a tour company and be like, I want this tour guide. Because there's a lot of times tour companies will be like, oh, no, they're not working this evening, or no, we got somebody, oh, we all our tour guides are good. No, if you want a particular tour guide, it's your money. You're right. paying $25, you should get the tour guide you want. Is there, is there a rating system on these tour guides to where you can look at a... No, it's just look at the reviews for the companies. Uh, it's just like and, and you know, the reviews. People yeah. say, yeah, we're yeah. with Ernie, and Ernie yeah, did yeah. a great job. Absolutely. That, like, okay. that's so. what, if you look at the tour company, you go to a... Like, look up tours, and they'll have a bunch of tour companies. And you go to the reviews, what do you see? They mention the tour guide's name. Right, yes, okay. okay. I'm like, so why are you just going to the tour company? If you go to the tour company, if you want that particular tour guide, get that tour guide. If they're not willing to give you that tour guide, you don't get my money. I'm going to go somewhere else where I can get the tour guide I want. Because really, in the end, it's not the tour company that makes the difference. It's the tour guide that makes the difference. Because right. why are you the number one tour guide? Because we have the best tour guides. I mean, tour company, because we have the best tour guides. Right, yeah. exactly. So it comes to the, I've gotten to the point 18 years later, like, I look at other tour operators and I'm like, I'm the one who's done all the research. You know, no one wrote my tour. You know, I follow other tour guides around, then eventually I had to write my own presentation where it felt comfortable for me, where it was me here, I'm presenting this as myself. I'm the one who's taking all the, I'm a history major. I paid thousands of dollars to go to these classes. No tour operator has compensated me for that. I've taken out tours to go to lectures, seminars, and I'm paying for those lectures and seminars, and I'm passing up an opportunity to do a tour and make money, but just because I love the city, I want to know more about it. And, I, and the more I learn, the more I add to my tour. And listening just, just to the people, what makes a tour great is listening to the people who take your tour. I love people who ask me questions. Because if I don't know the answer, guess what? I'm going to learn something new. And that just happened recently. I'm doing a cemetery tour. Somebody asked me, where does Pottersville get its name from? And I had no idea. I'm like, yeah, where they buried a poor in, a, in the unclaimed. I, like, I don't know where it's got its name from. I had a tourist ask me that question on a tour. So I went and looked it up. I found out it comes from the Bible. 
the book of Matthew. So Judas returned the coins he received for betraying Jesus. The priest didn't want to put it back in the coffer because they thought it was blood money. So they used the money to buy a field outside of the city so to bury the poor and the unclean. And this was a field where the potters would get their clay from. So that's where the name Potter's Field come from. I had no idea about that. But I got it from a question that I was asked and I didn't know the answer from. So over the years, 18 years of me conducting tours, what makes the tours so bad? I wrote a presentation, whoop de doo but that presentation has changed. My presentations change over time because I'm going to be asked a question that I don't know the answer to. And I'm going to go look it up. And then eventually, by it, I'm going to add it to my tour. I mean, my cemetery tour, are you taking a tour? I do love that tour. But that tour is going literally, if you look at the presentation I wrote, and I have my presentations at home. You look at the presentation I wrote back in 2003, December 2003 and early 2004 that I wrote, and it's nothing like the tour I gave you guys. Right. Because of all the questions I receive from people who take my tours. I've literally been told, you know that, you know the questions, you know questions, you know questions that I didn't even know I had wanted to know. Because I've had so many people take the tours and I listen to the people. You never know who's on your tour. You've, I've had professors on a tour who will suggest, hey, you need to read this book or you need to take this class. Literally, I'm like, what? Wow. You, and you learn so much because you never know who's on your tour. Yeah. And so I've had people with... And we've had people with... I've had people with PhDs on a tour. I can recall that. That's... So I had a professor from the University of Madrid on my tour. So one of my sayings, and excuse my language, I'm going to use this. So for the city, I do business as saints and bastards tours. Okay, and a lot of people are, oh my God, the word bastard, and I, I, the state would let me use the word bastard. And I'm like, I'm not being profane. It's the illegitimate children of King Louis, because that's how the streets are laid out. Right. They're laid out with so-called saints and illegitimate children, like. Toulouse Street, legitimate sign of King Louis. Runs parallel with St. Louis and St. Pierre. Then we have Dumaine, legitimate son of King Louis. Then he runs parallel with what? St. Peter and St. Philip. So that's where I get Saints Ambassadors. So I remember I said that. I was doing, in the visitor center, I was doing a presentation, talking about the city, and I was like, oh, and saints and bastards. And the professor was like, you know, they were actually princes, and they had wealth, they had positions. I'm like, no, I, I realized that, I realized that. But the thing is, I don't have a semester to give you this information. I have two hours, two hours to let you know how much I love this and give you as much information as I possibly can within two hours. That's all I have. And I gotta keep it short and say something that will just, will stick with you that you remember and, and, and th that's what I want to do I want people to fall in love with this city like I love it and, and you'll want to come back you'll be planning your next trip before the tour is even over I have had people say that I started planning my trip before your tour was even finished <laughs> that's us yeah and I'm just like that's what I'm looking for yeah, and I started this podcast, we both said, we need to go back to New Orleans and talk to Ernie. It's, it's been on our list, and, and yeah. we haven't been able to make it till now. We've had too many other things going on in between, but the, the, the passion was there. I mean, when, when you gave the tour, the passion was there. It's, it's obvious. Yeah, I, and it's just, I just want people to know. And I don't know everything. I'm still learning. There's, I still have a lot to learn. 
And I know some things I forget while I'm giving a tour. I'm like, uh, 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 what's the name? What's the name? Uh, uh. I, that happens to us all. <laughs> my editor, he loves that. Every time that I can uh, stumble on something, he makes sure and leaves it in. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> It's just like, I've done that on tours. I'm like, oh, uh, wait. And I've even said things on tours where I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, guys. That's the wrong date. I am so sorry. That did not occur. But the dates aren't important. <laughs> yeah. It's the events. Yeah, the events, though. You know, that is a general, general dates and, and the events. But for some reason, I remember stuff like that. I don't right. know why. I will remember stuff, and then it will stick with me, and I'm like, oh, and this occurred here. And, and what I love is the ripple effect with history. Like, right. what occurs somewhere else will affect another part of the world. It's just and like it's a river. It's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, literally. Like, I, for example, the, the French Revolution, all right? The effect there, then the Haitian Revolution occurred because of the French Revolution. And because of that revolution, those individuals fled there came to New Orleans, which actually led to one of the largest slave revolts in our nation. And so you're like, wow, what the hell? Right. And so that's, it's freaking amazing. Uh, and the city has had an effect on... And it's it's incredible. I mean, if you look at even at simple stuff like the Louisiana Purchase. So my understanding is, Thomas Jefferson really just wanted the city of New Orleans. He didn't want the entire territory. He just wanted the city of New Orleans. So Napoleon offered the entire territory, and they jumped on it and went and borrowed money from banks in England to give Napoleon this fifteen million dollars. You know, and, what a bargain! Know, yeah, and Napoleon was using that money to fight England, and I was like, "Ooh, how did that go down?" But, <laughs> but you know, also it was a beginner's for debt. The French gave him a beginner's debt because of the American Revolution. Yeah. And a lot of people don't understand. That's what blows my mind with history. With the whole incident years ago with the oh Freedom Prize, we, we're not going to call them French Prize anymore because the French won't support us with the, the invasion of Iraq. And I'm like, do you realize what the French have done? for this nation, if it wasn't for the French, there would be no United States of America. I mean, George Washington lost so many freaking battles through the American Revolution. It is lucky we are a freaking nation. And it was pretty much the French who helped us win that war against England. I mean, because England, first of all, was busy dealing with that, but it was the French. The French who trained our military. The French who provided uniforms and ammunition and weapons to fight the English. And I'm like, so what, what the hell are you talking about? Right? Yeah, yeah. They're like, we saved, we, we saved French during World War One and World War II. Well, you're going to keep saving them, buddy, because they wouldn't be in the United States without the French. And people, was, I, as a veteran, I love my country. I love the military, and I support it. But this, there are things that politicians have done that just blew my mind. Like, the War of 1812. Okay, and by the way, the whole Seven Year War, that pretty much started because of George Washington. Everybody's like, oh, George Washington, here. George Washington attacked the French. And, and, and so people don't understand it. That's what the shot heard around the world was started by George freaking Washington attacking the French when he wasn't supposed to attack them. And I'm like, look at that. But at like the War of 1812, everybody talks about that. I'm like, we declared war against England and didn't even let our own military know. So the Canadians attacked. Outposts along the border and took them down. And I'm like, you're idiots. And everybody's like, oh, America, the number one army. We tried to take Quebec and failed. We couldn't even take Canada. <laughs> like, look at your history. Oh my gosh. So, and and that's something else too with the whole people like uh, Creole and Cajun. So Creole actually comes from the Spanish word Creole. Uh, so Creole was anything that originated in colonies, be it a person, even a slave was considered a Creole, uh, food, anything. But eventually it became a way of uh, 
the locals here, born and raised here, distinguished themselves from the Americans arriving here, and using the Creoles for French-speaking Catholics. So the Americans were arrived down here. Now, a lot of people are like, well, what's the Cajuns? And a lot of people come to New Orleans like, yeah, I'm looking for Cajun food and Cajun music. And I'm like, uh, uh, we're, 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 we're not really in Cajun country. Cajun country is the lower Mississippi River or the other side of the river. That's Cajun country. <laughs> so, and a lot of people are like, where are the Cajuns coming from? Uh, they're French Canadians who were forced off the lands up in Canada. From New Brunswick. Yeah, because they wouldn't swear loyalty to the British crown because after the war, Seven Year War, or the French and Indian War, it now belonged to England. They wouldn't swear loyalty, so they're forced to live down here. But really, many of them were brought down here by the Spanish to be a border between United States and the Spanish colonies. I was so, going to ask you about yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah, it's really awesome. And the, those are the, the, what's now known as Cajuns. The, the French Canadians forced up their lands. Now, there's a crazy story. I'm still trying to find some actual hardcore documentation where they claim the word Cajun comes from the fact that no one can understand what the French Canadians were saying. They were trying to explain they were French Canadians, Acadians, and the story is where someone heard out of that Acadian, a Cajun. And so that's supposedly, oh. yeah. So I've yet to find any real hard documentation. I overheard somebody saying that, and I went looking through the beautiful Christ and numerous other books. And, and then, you know, then you watch uh, a couple of TV shows, uh, the, uh, the Swamp Show, and you're like, okay, maybe that is true, because you can't understand what the hell they're saying. There are some people I, I've gone over to the other side of the river that I'm like, what the hell are they just saying? People looking at me to translate, like, nope. I'm unable to translate that. <laughs> yeah, the Arcadians are the ones that yes. went down here from, mm-hmm. yes, from, from northern Canada. Canada absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And actually, and some of them went down to Maine. Uh, some of them went down to Maine, northern the United States of America. But many of them came down here with the help of the Spanish administration to provide a border. And then even Germans came here. I mean, we have what we call German upriver that we had German descendants. Of course, their names were changed over a period of time. Um, well, many of them were changed when they arrived there because they're like, what's your name? And they're like, yeah, we're going to change it to that. <laughs> they like, they was I like, think that happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were like, that's too long of a name. We're going to cut that short and we're going to call you this. Uh, so, uh, I mean, everybody's come to, it's a poor city. And, but we're just, I feel we're the true melting pot of North America. Everybody's just been blended up here. And it's, it's amazing. I mean, I, I look at, I had to do a DNA test because I was trying to do Ancestry.com and I was like, it doesn't make any sense and there's some family members who won't talk to you some family members who will talk to you and I find out that you know I'm only 60% West African or 60% African and I'm like where in the hell did all the 40% come from and you're like what the hell <laughs> you know because I I never met him my, my mother's father uh, Abert Torrigano according to the World War II records he was a white officer in World War II and I'm like but he married my grandmother He's dark complexed, darker than me. I'm like, I thought that was illegal. And he's like, don't worry about it. I'm like, what? <laughs> so it's, yeah. And I, the customs here, it's, a, it's a freaking amazing. And the whole custom of plasage, where the European men would take a woman of color as a mistress. And something to go, oh, that never happened. Really, that never happened? I look at my family ancestry. You really, that never happened? I know other people. <laughs> I'm like, how the hell you moved down here? I literally, it's people who usually move down here. Oh, passage never happened. I'm like, oh, really? There are records, Louis, of when they're doing census reports of the the owner of the property, and he has a female slave with mulatto children, and he claims them as his. So, like, how, how do you? 
Oh, you think that happened? What, what's going on there? You know? And, yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, it's, it's really amazing, the diversity here. And that's what I think really makes, what really makes the ones. Yeah, and it doesn't matter where you're from or who you are. You just, you just get in, you be yourself. And you eventually get blended up. Yeah. Well, Ernie, I really appreciate you taking the hour and 58 minutes or whatever we've been talking. Uh, I do I do love New Orleans. I, I, I talk about it all the time, and, and the times that I've been down here has been great. Your, your uh, tour was awesome last year. Talking to you today was excellent. If anybody wants, wants to avoid having to research all of the other tour guides, Give Ernie a call. Yeah, sir, I, if I don't know. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, ErnieTours.com is where he's at. Yeah. And uh, he'll accommodate you. And if I don't know, I know somebody who will know. That's and right. I will send you to him. I, I don't know everything, but I, I will know somebody who does know. I've done it before. That's I've right. conducted tours where I like someone asked me about what plant is that, and I'm like the plant. I don't know that plant, so I contacted a tour guide I know who gets gardening. She like took a picture of the plant, sent it to her, and she's like, "That's this plant." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." There you go. <laughs> so anyway, the way I finish out is I say the world is full of wonder. People need to get out and explore. You touched on that earlier. The exploration is is half of the adventure. And everybody have an absolutely wonder-filled day. All the rolling go, where am I to go? Meet Johnny, where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?